Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Were you one of the girls that he chose when he went back on tour? He'd choose a girl every night to make out with. He'd yeah. grab them and tongue kiss them. Interesting. Well, <laughs> that never happened to me. Okay. <laughs> Hello. And welcome to Crush the Podcast, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Kirsten Lyons, and I'm joined today by what? 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 I'm joined yeah. today <laughs> with my cousin and co- uh, I'm joined know. by. Joined by? You're joined by your cousin and co- you're not joined with. We're not conjoined. I'm joined by my. <laughs> I hear Ginny in the background. Don't you dare giggle, Miss Ginny. <laughs> She's she's the silent co-star that's been in many of our episodes. And now Aaron and Ginny are at a hotel together. By the way, I am joined by my cousin and co-host, Aaron Aaron Raiderstorm. And her mom, who's silently sitting in the background, who looks mortified. (laughs) She did so well. She sat through that whole last episode and didn't make a peep. Ginny. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. What did you say, Mama? Oh, you're laughing at what I said. Okay. What was she doing? She was trying to stay awake because we're both absolutely exhausted. We're staying at currently one of my favorite hotels in LA. I'm not saying it's the best hotel. I'm just saying it's It's my favorite. It's your favorite. That's fine. It's my favorite. And they have this new fancy restaurant pop-up on the roof called Santalina, which I've been dying to try and I haven't shut up about it all. I literally haven't shut up about it since she got here. You guys going to try it? Well, now we have a vendetta against them (laughs) because (laughs) last night on a Wednesday, they hosted a DJ event that went until 1.30 in the morning. And I'm not kidding when I say the entire hotel was shaking. We called the front desk and this poor woman at the front desk, sweet Linda, her name was Linda, was just like- sweet, Shout out to sweet Linda. Shout out to Linda. She just sounded like all she had done for the past hour was be yelled at on the phone. Oh. And here's the thing. It was midnight. I really gave him until midnight. And I was like, well, we thought it was the room above us. That's how loud it was. And we were wow. like, and we were like- Linda, what's going on? And she was like, there is an event on the roof. Pretty much. So this restaurant's open until close. They have no closing time. So I'm going to guess they had to cap it at 1.30. Okay. But I just don't think they expected the event to be as popular as it was. Um, and it was very popular. There were a lot of influencers there. So I think people were seeing it on their story and then also going. But I'm I believe exhausted. you pronounce it influencers. Ah, I mean, I don't. You're more than welcome to. You know, truthfully, I feel really bad for Linda because it's not Linda's party. But sweet Linda, she just sounded like she had been put through it. Ah, speaking of someone who's been put through it, (laughs) let's talk about your favorite and mine, Miss Taylor Swift. Ah, yes. So we should note that many of our guests on here love Taylor. Many of our songs on here have been Taylor Swift songs. Mm -hmm. Aaron and I both have a complicated relationship with Taylor Swift. Aaron we definitely, do. definitely more than I do. But she got a she got a global icon award at the 2021 Brit Awards. Um, she got an one, icon sorry, award. One second. Oh yeah. Sorry. One second. Okay. So my mom just texted me on my phone and then brought me her phone to show me what she texted me. She wants me to point out that Linda was incredibly gracious on the phone. She never said a bad word. I just interpreted from her tone that she seemed like 
she had encountered a lot of negativity. I'm sure she had. If you guys are feeling on the fifth floor. No, Jenny, Jenny, I know you can't hear me right now, but we called her sweet Linda. We love Linda. Yeah, you can't hear what Kirsten's saying. We never said a bad word about Linda. I also doubt that any of our listeners work for Hilton Corporate. If the Hilton wants to sponsor us, we're ready. Okay. (laughs) So by the way, the award is like, it, it looks like something you get at the Nickelodeon Kids Choice Awards. Okay, no, it's a Brit Award. They're beautiful. Excuse so you. One Direction has a ton of them. They always look like that? Well, they're different designs every year, but it's the same statue. Well, that's why, like, when Harry Styles won his Brit Award this year, he, he traded it out for a different color one because he wanted a different color one. So cute. He's so funny and relatable. Okay, so anyway, uh, <laughs> moving on. So Taylor Swift had this like montage and it, you know, I'm sh- I didn't see it, but I'm, I love montages. They're always lovely. I'm sure it was lovely about all her work and the people that love her. And then she gave a, she gave a speech and, and this is the part that they showed on the Today Show. And then I was just like, and can I just say, this is the part you sent to me that mm-hmm. I thought you were going to be like, cause you, you sent it with no context and you were like, mm-hmm. I want to talk about this. And I was going to be like, I disagree. <laughs> and not just because she's not my favorite person, but go ahead. Right. No, I want to talk about it. Cause I was like, this is the toxic BS I was fed for years and years and years. So this is the ending of there might be times when you put your whole heart and soul into something and it is met. And if it is met with cynicism or skepticism, you cannot let that crush you. You have to let it fuel you. She goes on to say, we live in a world where anyone has the right to say anything that they want about you at any time. But just please remember that you have the right to prove them wrong. And then the whole place was like, yeah. What are your thoughts? You cannot control what people think about you, nor is it any of your business. So this (laughs) this whole prove them wrong, even if they say you can't, I'm trying to think of something that has an end goal. You can't run a mile. You run that mile. It's going to be the next thing. You know, they're not going to be like, wow, she was right. She could do that thing. It's going to be like, well, she probably couldn't run two miles or like, oh, she only did that because she took an energy drink. You know, it's, it's always going to, there's always going to be a caveat to what people think about you. But also again, it's none of your business. I think it's, I agree. It's never, it's just piggybacking on what you're saying. It's never enough. Yeah. And the, the fact of where she was, she's getting an icon award. She's had so much success. I'm also not saying, I don't know what it's like to be Taylor Swift. I don't know what it's like to be universally hated on social media platforms and, you know, pulled apart by by Kanye. And, and I don't know what that's like. I think what's hard for me, and I don't know if other people or if you've, when I see people that remind me so much of the parts of me that I don't like, maybe, or the parts of me that I'm embarrassed about, Taylor is me in the sense of like bullied, not cute, wanting to be cute. And then the idea, like her song mean, like you're always going to be mean, but I'm going to be a famous person. That literally was like me in a nutshell. It didn't, it doesn't satisfy. And I think she's such an, like an example of how it doesn't satisfy. It's never enough because she's literally getting an icon award. And she's saying to people where we live in a world where any, anyone has the right to say anything that they want about you at any time, but just please remember you have the right to prove them wrong. Taylor, when is little girl Taylor? When did you prove it? Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're literally standing up here. Like I just, I, she's so talented. She's such a great songwriter. Dear John is one of my favorite songs. I, I, I really appreciate her music, her art. I know we've had so many people on here that like adore her. I think for me, it's not even so much about that. It's the idea of like, when things are hard, remember that that just means 
success is right around the corner. And when people say mean things about you, remember like you got to prove them wrong or you can prove them wrong. And it's like, then you're just chasing something. It's exhausting yeah. to prove it's people like, wrong. A hundred percent. And then it's also like, what are you proving? Are you proving me? You know, is she thinking like, nobody said I could be a successful artist. Did you prove them wrong when you got that record deal? Did you prove them wrong when you got your first Grammy? And then it's like, you know, when people gave her so much grief about having this girl click and it's like, I'm going to prove them wrong that I can be a, a feminist, even though people think that I'm an anti-feminist. And then it's like, okay, like, you know what I mean? It's exactly what you're saying. You're constantly having to prove things. If you are allowing yourself to be fueled by what everybody else is saying about you, because you're right. People do have the right to say whatever they want about you. That's free will but you have the right to not let it affect you. And not necessarily that you have the right to prove them wrong because you're never yeah. going to. And and it, I just go back to, I mean, Henry Nowen. I know I always do. Does he uh, like underwrite this podcast? No, what is going on? He's passed on to the afterlife. He's in heaven. Oh, but, I apologize. Uh, no, you're fine. But it, it goes back to like, if you put your worth and value in either what you do, what you have, or what people say about you, it's never going to, it's never, you're never going to be content. Also, we're really nitpicking at this speech. I'm sure it was probably just something that she wrote to be like, this will probably be inspiring. You know, I don't think she probably intended this to be like a statement. But on for me, I don't <laughs> like ideals. I think I'm, I want to break down the illusion. So it's not so much I'm, I'm yeah. nitpicking or you're nitpicking. I think we just like, for the people that listen to this episode and no, our reach isn't Taylor Swift's reach. It's not even one millionth of Taylor Swift's reach. Shocking. Shocking. But it is like, <laughs> there are people that I think struggle with this, the element of where my worth and value, what is my identity? I did a lot of reflection about why I felt the way I felt about Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift was almost like the ideal girl in a way, but then it was like, you did want to be like her, but you didn't want to be like her. And if you did like her, you were considered to be basic. It was, it was just this, like, I felt like I couldn't win with her. And so I just, I didn't want anything to do with her. And then I was like, let's all just stop talking about her. Oh, that's interesting. As, as Ashley course, would say, she made you feel some type of way. She did make me feel some type of way. And then she started dating Harry Styles. And I was like, yeah, I absolutely want nothing to do with her. <laughs> well, I, I really was just like, get out of my narrative. Like One Direction was my thing. And I was like, just get out of it. Just stay away from it. I don't. Well, I think we've come to the conclusion that Taylor wants to be Aaron. Uh, maybe. 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 Letitia's our guest today, and it is such an amazing conversation. It's also it very is... cool because you knew the ending and I didn't. Yeah. And so I'm yeah. sitting here like, I wish you guys, I wish we had like film recorded this because I'm like so close to the camera, so excited. <laughs> um, and her story is so amazing and so beautiful and and so redemptive and and healing and still healing. You know, Letitia is so open about that she's still in the processes of healing, which we all are, let's be honest. Um, anyway, so I'm really excited for you guys to hear Letitia's story. And she is a, a great speaker. I mean, it's kind of what she does for a living. Yeah. So, so meet Letitia. Hey guys, it's Kirsten. Really quickly, we wanted to let you know that this episode contains mention of suicide and sexual abuse. We don't go into depth on either subject, but it is mentioned freely throughout the episode. And we want to be as upfront and sensitive as possible to you, our listeners. Please know if these subjects may be too much for you, feel free to skip this episode and we'll see you next week for our season finale. We love you guys. Today we have on the show, Letitia Ochoa Adams. She's a writer, a speaker, a native Texan and a pit bull owner. Letitia, welcome to Crush the Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so You're excited. Okay. Okay. First, first question we ask everybody 
in sync or Backstreet Boys, or do you have a write-in? Uh, new Kids on the Block. Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you for that. And when we're speaking about new kids, who was your new kid? Donnie Wahlberg, very much. Look what? up what Donnie Wahlberg looks like because I've got nothing. I don't. Well, you're 14, so you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So you love Donnie. So when you were 12 years old, would you have chosen per- like would you have chosen a mansion, an apartment, a shack, or a house? Oh, a mansion. And where would you have lived? I always, I mean, I am a native Texan, so I was always going to live in Texas. I just wanted to live like out of town, which is so crazy. I grew up in a really small cow town. Like I was just there this weekend, uh-huh. super small, 4,000 people. <laughs> I'm laughing because you put on your stories. Watch me as I try to find a latte. <laughs> <laughs> and there was, oh gosh, there was a snow cone stand that they turned into a coffee shop for like a month and it didn't work out because no one in town even cared. I'm like, what is wrong with y'all? Y'all took away my one thing, you know? Did it? Did um, they revert it back to a snow coat machine? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a snow coat. good. <laughs> I'm just like, but y'all have to still have the espresso machine in there. <laughs> so what did you want to do? Um, I honestly, when I was younger, I went through two different phases. One was like a marine biologist. Cause I lived in this small town, uh, uh, like that was not very far away from San Antonio. So when they brought SeaWorld into San Antonio, it was this big, huge extravaganza. Mm-hmm. And, and we talked about it in school and we did all of this, you know, I loved whales. I don't know. I was a real huge weirdo. Like, no, I had a friend who had dolphin posters on her room and like whale posters. And her, yeah. one of her sisters was a marine biologist actually in San Diego. So for like, I don't know four days, I told everybody I wanted to be a marine biologist because I thought she was super cool. So I was like, maybe they'll think I'm super cool. <laughs> yeah. From the fourth grade until the seventh grade, I wanted to be a marine biologist. And then okay. I, and then I kind of wanted to be um, a lawyer. I remember Sandra Zay O'Connor became a Supreme Court justice. And I was just like, this is amazing. I love it. But you know, so those are the two things, but really, if I really, I didn't know I wanted to be a writer when I was a kid, but I did. I just didn't think it was possible for me. So I, I didn't think like that's something I could be. Mm. Uh, So, so even though I would say looking back at my childhood, I wanted to be a writer. I just never put the words to it because I just didn't think that was possible. Interesting. So it was almost like there, it was happening. You just didn't actually like that couldn't happen to you. Yeah. So I was already writing. I was already creating stories. I mean, I was creating, I've been creating stories since I was a little kid, which when you're a little kid and, um, you tell people Kenny Rogers is your dad because they're making fun of you for not having a dad. Everyone thinks you're like a troubled child. They don't see the gift of storytelling. (laughs) And I mean, and I just created all kinds of stories and yeah, people just saw it as lying, but now like looking back, going through therapy about, oh, I was a horrible kid. I I lied a lot. And my therapist was like, well, let's talk about that. What kind of lies? And Mm. I would tell her and she's like, Letitia, you're a writer. Like you were creating stories. You weren't just lying for, I wasn't trying to get away with anything. I was just trying to come up with some other story other than my own story. Were you told that you were like, what did you say? Bad or whatever? Did you, Mm -hmm. were you told that? 
Yes. I was told that I was told that I was, you know, a liar that I lied easily. Like that, those were the things that were said to me over and over again. And then did that inform as you kept going, were you, was it, was it informing like, Oh, I'm a liar. So I should just continue lying. Or was it more like, this is just who I am. Like, did that, it was, Oh no, it was like, don't stop doing that. So, Mm. So it was more of a, like, so And trying to teach me the virtue of honesty, really what happened was no one cultivated the gift of writing, the gift of storytelling, the gift of narrative. You know, everyone considered it like a vice of lying and tried to give me the virtue of truth telling, which is fine. And you have to do that to children, but no one really saw the whole picture. You know, I think sometimes we see kids and we see them doing something and we just want them to stop. Stop doing that. You're doing something wrong. You need to stop it. Instead of what you just said, looking at the whole picture, trying to figure out why are they doing this? And, and instead of it becoming, instead of it being a problem, almost like taking that and going beneath the surface and saying, why are they doing this? And then what you said, like cultivating that and like honoring who they were created to be. Yeah. I lied a lot. And right now I'm like, I was a huge liar too. My granddaughter now, when she says something and it's not true, I always ask her like, is that a story or are, are you trying to get away with something? Are you ashamed of something? Or are you making a story? And she's gotten really well at being able to tell me like, I'm ashamed of something. I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about it. Like you don't have to be, there's nothing, you know, I love you no matter what. I also like that is the the difference between is that a lie sounds like you're immediately like sometimes I feel like kids lie and they don't mean it to be harmful. I like that a lot. I like that language. The is it a lie? It's it's also not it's asking what is going on instead of immediately placing the judgment on them. Yeah. You know, so I love that what you're saying about like, well, let's actually look at the problem and and what is actually happening here. Yeah. And like, what are your feelings and what's happening and what are you thinking? And what is your thought? What are your thoughts on that? And giving them autonomy, even as children to be able to say, these are my thoughts. These are my opinions. And I think sometimes too, we want kids to be adults, like know all the right answers. And it's like, they're learning the answers. They don't mm. know. They don't know why they're acting the way they're acting. So yeah, exactly. They're just feeling something and then they're reacting out of that feeling. So you really have to go into like, why are they feeling that? And is it even a feeling the other day, Aaliyah was crying because she watched some sad video on YouTube about a dog. She couldn't tell me what the sad video was because she was like crying. And instead of telling her like, don't, you know, I, at first told her like, don't watch those videos. And then I had to be like, you know what? You get to feel your feelings. If it was a sad video about a puppy, then you get to be sad. Like, it's okay to feel your feelings. I think we want like these perfect little like adults and they're just trying to figure out how to navigate their feelings and their reactions to their feelings. And they have the right to do that. <laughs> and I think sometimes when they have feelings, whether you're a parent, a grandparent, a camp counselor, a nanny, a teacher, whatever, we don't realize how much their feelings are affecting us. And so we're, I don't know if the term would be pro- at that moment projecting how many times I'm like, you're being uncomfortable is making me uncomfortable. And I want you to stop being uncomfortable right now so I can stop being uncomfortable. Yeah. We're told our job is to fix it, make it better. So you, you see somebody upset and your immediate response as the adults or the guardian in the situation is like, okay, how do I fix it? And then, mm. you know, I, I give this example all the time, but I was a camp counselor, like full-time for about three years. 
And we had a girl and it was just one of those days where like nothing was going her way. And the activity she was most excited for, she didn't like the schedule she got was mountain biking. Mountain biking happens and it rains. We go to the gym to play dodgeball and I run into her and she's crying. And I was like, I'm trying to make her feel better. And I'm like, well, there's nothing I can do. Like, I I can't give you back mountain biking. It's raining. And she's like, I know, I'm just sad. And I was like, oh my gosh, she is. There was a thing she was excited for. Now it's not happening. She's just sad. She's not asking me to fix it. She's just feeling it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And how much, like, I I don't know about you guys, but how much I was not given that permission to feel. Whether somebody didn't give me the permission or I didn't allow myself the permission. I think both of those happened. Yeah, exactly. Giving giving myself the permission to feel. And I had, I had so many huge things all happening at the same time. I was, um, I only spoke English, I mean, Spanish until I was eight years old. So at that time, everyone stopped speaking Spanish to me so that I would only speak English. And I I was getting paddled at school for speaking Spanish. I was being sexually molested at home. I didn't have a father. I was an only child and a kind of weird kid. So I was alone a lot, you know, had all of these huge things happening. I never learned how to feel. Mm. Not, Not only was I not given permission, but whatever I was feeling was not, it was for my abuse. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, So my, so it's all wrapped up in a ball and a knot that I had to slowly start unraveling during therapy. Everybody was speaking Spanish to you at eight. Was there a conversation? Like, we're going to stop now because you need to learn English or what, or was it just like, they just stopped? It was a little bit of both. So, uh, the school was telling my mom that I needed to stop speaking Spanish because I, I understood English. I just didn't speak it and it wasn't very difficult for me, but like people would talk to me in English and I respond in Spanish. (laughs) I'm just going to do it my own way. So my teachers would just be like, she has to speak English. Like this has to happen or she's going to go into a special ed class. Did they not have ESOL like, Mm -hmm. or. Oh, no, we didn't have ESL back then. Okay. Um, and so, and my mom wouldn't have wanted me in ESL because we're, we're not Mexican. Like it's this whole complicated, whole entire situation. And so, so my mom was like, you're American, you have to speak English. And so then everyone just agreed to stop speaking Spanish. I mean, I'm just a little kid. I don't know what's happening. And suddenly I don't understand anyone around me like what they're trying to tell me. And I'm getting spankings for like not doing things that I'm supposed to be doing. And then the man who is helping my mother, like teach me um, English is molesting me while we're watching the evening news. And he's telling me like that word means this and this word means that. And so it's just, everything is so convoluted. And then at school, I'm getting bullied because I don't have a dad and my mom lives with this man and um, they're not married or whatever. Everything was happening at once from such a young age. You know and, what I mean? And this is all you're saying around eight, eight years old. Yeah. Five how, to eight. How old is your oldest granddaughter? She's got to be eight. Wow. Yeah. So watching yeah. her, like watching her go from four to eight really gave me so much insight into why I am so traumatized. Yeah. (laughs) Like how innocent she is, how little she understands. And now that she's going into eight and is starting to be aware of her feelings, aware of this is a sad video about a dog or aware of like this well eight 
a sea lion <laughs> like we were watching like a well show she normally is totally fine with nature shows she's been watching them her whole life but this one she was like i don't like it please turn it off that was a mom it was a mom and her babies are gonna miss her and so like i see her becoming aware of her feelings and being aware of tragedy mm. um in a whole different way than she had been before so i can kind of see like how eight-year-old me started being aware of the abuse and aware of the way my mom talked to me and how it hurts my feelings. Like, you know, like you can hurt a five-year-old's feelings definitely, but I don't feel like they're aware of the hurt feelings. You know what I mean? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Kind of like, oh, that was mean. But an eight-year-old, it's kind of like in their heart, like they're like, oh, you know what I mean? I remember watching Ellis Ellis, when we were at the park, she would probably be like three or four. And she would ask like, kids, do you want to play with me? And she would, you could tell she was nervous because she'd do this with her shoulders up and down. She'd be like, hey, um, uh, hey, do you want to play with me? But they would like run by. We talked about it a little bit, but she was like, oh, they, no, they, they was fine. You could tell she was hurt, but like, it just was different. Then like fast forward a couple of years and she would try to play with someone and they wouldn't, I mean, it was just like tears and it hurt. So yeah. yeah. Like it's inside. Yeah. I, it's so I never really realized that for me because I was the one growing up, but now watching Aaliyah and she's so much like me, her personality is so much like mine. Her sensitivities are a lot like mine. The only difference is, is she's a little bit more positive than I am, <laughs> but the teen years could have, and we'll see how it turns out. <laughs> Do you feel like, like, I remember I, I had a therapist for a hot second. She's not my therapist now, but just honestly, I couldn't afford her. So that's why I didn't, uh, I only had one big session with her. And then I was like, I can't afford you, but good luck to you. Um, (laughs) But I remember her saying to me, this was when Ellis was really small. So she said, my hope for you would be that before you get to the age where your trauma really happened, that really big traumatic moment happened for you. My hope for you is that you would get into therapy before that, because that is going, when she gets to that age, that's going to like, that could really uncover some stuff. And it's interesting because, you know, I, I'm still processing a lot of stuff from my childhood to be fair. Like I, I don't believe in comparative suffering, but I do believe like there was a lot of trauma in my childhood, but I also had a phenomenal childhood. Like it's this, and that's also hard because it's like, well, then should I not acknowledge the trauma? Should I, cause I should be grateful, but how are you great? And I love Aaron has a great quote in a, an episode we had, like, what did you say? Like you could be grateful and sad. They don't cancel each other out. Yes. And I just love yeah. that. And I, I, the nuance of that kind of the, the depth of that I have seen as in the last couple of years, how I've been triggered by things, but also healed by things. And like, what a gift it is kind of, cause Ellis is very much my child, like <laughs> very much my child. <laughs> Yeah, that's how I feel about um, Aaliyah. And I, and I kind of skipped over two of my own children who were a lot like me and watching them grow and process stuff because I didn't understand processes in the first place. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand trauma. I didn't understand anything. And then I was just working all the time. So it's totally different when you're the mom because you're so busy being mom that you can't really step back. And I wasn't in a place of healing for myself to even know what I was looking at. But with Aaliyah, Mm. I have all this time, all this perspective. And Aaliyah and I also have a huge trauma bond in losing her dad. And, um, and so, so there's just a lot there. It's, it's very healing for the both of us. And I'm glad that 
I'm very glad that I have had that healing before she came along and was these ages because I, I can see now how I, I was not bad. And I can also see her as a whole person. Whereas I would have seen all the negative things that had been said to me as a child. And I would have nitpicked at them on her that would have harmed her. You know what I'm saying? Instead of seeing, instead of seeing that, Oh, Oh, I wasn't bad. That's just a kid being a kid and being able to tell Aaliyah like that. Like, you know, is that a story you're telling? Let's write it out. And like, she has like all these teeny tiny little books where she just writes these stories and then staples the sides. Like, so 1980s. It's just like staple. (laughs) He's just like, where's my stapler? That's her favorite thing. I think there's also a control with a stapler. Like it was all messy and now I've stamped it and it's together. Like, it's so funny. I I remember as a kid being like, where's the stapler? I want the stapler. So I can cultivate that love of writing for her. And maybe because of that, maybe she won't grow up to be a writer. I don't really know, but I know like she will always know like, oh, I can, I can write a story. I can tell a story. I have the, I have the freedom to tell a story and not be labeled a liar. Mm. Yeah. I love that. All right. Speaking of a story, can you (laughs) set the stage for your crushed moment? I don't think we finished mash. Who were you going to marry? Was it Donnie Wahlberg? Oh yeah. Oh, who are you going to marry when you were 12? Um, yeah. Donnie Wahlberg. Yeah, he like I have this whole scene. Speaking of stories, I have this whole story about how he was gonna come to town. We had the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles come to town and give a concert, and I was like, "Well, why can't you kids on the block come and give us a concert?" You know, they're and one in the same TMNT and NKOTB. Exactly, and um, and so my whole scenario was like, Donnie Wahlberg is gonna come do the new kids on the block are gonna do a concert um in town, and he's gonna see me, fall in love with me, and take me away from here, and all of this bad stuff that's happening to me. Mm. So that was that was like the story in my head, beginning in the sixth grade, like when we went into junior high, because like I I mean it's a tiny town, so you go across the street to junior high from elementary, like (laughs) you're actually just across the street from your elementary school. And then halfway through sixth grade year, a new kid starts, a new kid comes to school. (laughs) It's so funny. I remember like standing outside of history class when I saw him for the first time and he looked just like Donnie Wahlberg. Like he had the kind of curly blonde hair, you know, and the like (laughs) long hair on the back kind of. And a a nice mullet. I I was like laughing because it's like, I, I know it was a nice mullet. And so I was just like, oh my God, you know, he looks just like Donnie Wahlberg. What's his name? And his name was Stacey Adams. And so I chased him around for days. Like, uh, you're going to marry me one day. Like you're, and it wasn't because I wanted that's, to marry Stacey that's Adams. Bold. Yeah. I was like, I want to marry Donnie Wahlberg. And you're like <laughs> the closest I'm getting to that. So, so you're going to marry me one day. And I like, would put SNL forever on his books. Cause you know, those paper book covers or whatever. And I would load so much money into the jukebox. We had a jukebox in our cafeteria. Um, you had a jukebox um, in your cafeteria? Yes. And a salad bar it was so great. So what? Cool. what? Where did you go to school? 
in a teeny tiny cow town. So they have lots of uh, cattle money. Um, yeah. So we had a jukebox and I'd, I would just play all these songs for him, like Bon Jovi. Why was anyone letting me listen to Bon Jovi? I don't know, but they did. And so I would like pay, play all these love songs. And it did was you play perfect- like New Kids on the Block, like Hanging yes. Tough or anything? Okay. Um, okay. Hanging Tough and uh, Please Don't Go Girl, obviously. Uh, and like, yeah. you know, and it's the perfect setup because I have a jukebox in my cafeteria. I'm in love with this guy. He looks like Donnie Wahlberg. And it's the 80s. So it's the height of rock ballads the perfect I lived in a time capsule like the perfect time period and I will say for any of our listeners who have no idea what we're talking about go watch Frozen 2 Kristoff's song is basically what we're talking about called Lost in the Woods (laughs) it's got a saxophone there's a lot of like him looking off into a distance and then another picture of him looking straight on but they're all looking at the same time it's so good that's so hilarious yeah so so then um so we you know made out and stuff and and like talked and <laughs> Aaron's face was like oh excuse me I was like, all oh, kinds of stuff but he, going? yeah but he refused to like call me his girlfriend and he would be like he wouldn't talk to me in public so every Friday oh. night everyone hung out at the pizza hut in town that's where everyone hung out and I would just sit at the front waiting for Stacy to like walk by and 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 like take me by the hand and take me into the arcade because that was like th- that would have been like this big huge announcement right never happened he would just walk by me <laughs> he said hi to me in public he- he's my boyfriend he was like I'm literally not your boyfriend where would you guys make out like behind the bleachers oh we were Baptist so at the Baptist church they have like this baptismal font so you have to go <laughs> through the back stairs in order to get in there and so there uh camp <laughs> vacation bible school camp at- everywhere like but nowhere you know what I'm saying like everywhere, yeah, yeah, yeah. But nowhere did you guys like hang out or was it just like you'd meet up to do that and you both knew that's what was what you were we, doing yeah we'd meet up at youth group <laughs> just small town you were like you have a tongue and I have a tongue there we no, go wait, can I ask the first kiss story I, I kind of love first kiss stories like what happened there um, we were sitting on the stairs outside of the first Baptist church. I don't know exactly how or why, but he kissed me and then he like French kissed me. And I was like, what was that? That's literally gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then in the eighth grade, so this went on, so this went on half of sixth grade and the seventh grade. So he was in the eighth grade. I was in the seventh grade. We had this huge dance. I made this whole huge deal my aunt made me a dress and it looks awfully like a wedding dress because I'm so <laughs> fluffy you're like it had a train I was carrying a bouquet but I swear it was just for the dance I get there I'm super excited and my best friend's there in this big fluffy canary yellow dress and and then it's just like a formal dance we're so everyone's like been looking forward to it so great and um, halfway through the dance, Stacy says to me, I have to break up with you. And then goes across the, because it's a round cafeteria, okay? Goes across the cafeteria and asks my best friend in the stupid canary yellow dress to dance with him. My life was destroyed. Like, I was just like. There's actual tears in my eyes right now. Yeah. I went and sat on the steps in the front of the junior high and cried and cried and cried. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. So wait, wait. So we fast forwarded from Pizza Hut days where he would not even like, he like one time he acknowledged you, but how did they get to the, you guys were going to a dance together. 
Well, we were, we were just all going to the dance. It was like a junior high dance. So he didn't go with me, but we had been like having this, like, are you my boyfriend? Are you not my boyfriend? Barry Ross and Rachel 95. Yes. Got it. And it's like going around. Remember back then when, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like, are we going around? Are we not going around? We called it going out, but it was the same thing. And I remember I told my mom, I go, mom, I'm going out with Zach. And she was like, where are you going? And then I wrote Zach a letter (laughs) and I said, she's so ungeneration X. I'm not Generation X, but apparently that's what I needed to tell Zach. I'm pretty sure he told me, like, I'm going to ask Kizzy to go around with me. And then, like, walked off and went across the thing and, like, hung out with her the whole rest of the night. And I was just like. What did she do? uh, She was a jerk. So she went along. Also, he was really hot. So part of me is like she was a jerk. And part of me was like, you know, he was kind of hot. Yeah. So that ended our friendship. And then it, and I was already like, we were already in the outcast group. So there's like six of us and we're already in the outcast group. So then that outcasted me from that group because everyone chose her side. And what <laughs> they chose, I so, will oh. never wear canary yellow again. As long as I live, this is my bow to you. I hate canary yellow now. Um, yeah. And they all chose her side because with Stace came popularity. You know, he was on the football team. Everyone loved him. He hung out with all the popular kids. And so it, for this little group of misfits, Kizzy going out with Stacy was a door into popularity. And so that's what they chose. Right. So me. of course they chose, of course they chose the door going into popularity over their yeah. friend. Oh. So it was just me and my two Shetland ponies for the rest of, <laughs> for the rest of the ride. <laughs> That is my favorite quote, just me and my two Shetland ponies for the rest of junior high. For the rest of junior high. Um, they kept me company. And I mean, I, I had like, it wasn't a tree house. I called it my tree house, but it was really a painter scaffold in between these two trees and the fields behind my house with my ponies. And I mean, I just remember like crying, looking up at the night sky, like, why God, why? You know, I want Stacey to love me. And like, I really, if Stacy could just love me and get marry me, then we could, you know, be happy and all this not like my whole life would change. I just have like this whole, like a Again, a story, a narrative wrapped around the idea that if Stace would just marry me, everything would be fine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And my ponies were very tired of hearing about it. (laughs) (laughs) I need to ask another question because I'm a little confused. My age when that kind of thing would happen. So if you think about it, like if a guy was secretly like hanging out with a girl, right? They would at least like AIM on the side or they would like text on the side. But like, I guess my question is like, so did you guys talk outside of when you were just like making out at church every now and then? Or was there yeah, like, or like did he like, sh- once he danced That's with Canary, was it done? Did he have no yeah, connection? It was done. Wow. Like, we didn't talk anymore. So then I went through eighth grade. I became very promiscuous. Then I went into the ninth grade and I moved from that town. Like I had begun running away and all kinds of stuff. So my uncle took me to the other town that we like, there's two close towns and we grew up in between okay. the two towns. And so, um, and then I ended up moving further away than that. By the time I was 15, I was uh, 800 miles away and I always thought of him. And I, I, when the internet was invented, <laughs> you put your, you put your AOL CD in, we've talked about it. So our <laughs> listeners understand it was like, <laughs> And I, and I looked him up, like, like, you know, you just type in like, where's Stacey Adams and everyone in the internet's like, we don't know lady. Like, 
<laughs> but, you know, I always thought about him. I had my oldest son, Anthony. I got pregnant with him when I was 16. I had him when I was 17. Then I met my first husband when I was 19. I married him after only knowing him for two weeks. Long story. We had a miscarriage and three more kids. And then we got divorced. He struggled with addiction, all kinds of stuff. So in the on, off, on, off, I moved to Austin, Texas in 2008, 2007. I'm on MySpace, which is also old. (laughs) MySpace was the best. You had your top eight. Tom was always in there. He always wanted to be in your top eight. You got to pick your own song, your own vibe. Yes. I was just saying on a couple episodes ago, I said for a while, my song was Khalees's I Bring All the Milkshakes. That was my song. (laughs) Everybody, I'm sure, clicked on my thing and they were like, no, you don't, Kirsten. They were like, that's totally Kirsten. Sounds (laughs) just like her. You're lactose intolerant. (laughs) Yeah. So one day I'm on MySpace just like checking out people or whatever. And I get a message and it's like, Hey, do you remember me? I'm Stacy Adams. I, I just, I was a great above you. I don't know if you'd remember me. And I was okay. like, okay. I'm sorry. I need to pause this for a second. This is the kind of thing that drives me bananas when people are like, hi, do you remember me? I totally, we used to make out and I totally broke your heart, but you probably don't remember. Yeah. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm frustrated exactly. right now. He was like, do you, so the thing is, is that at this point, my profile picture on MySpace was my, was a photo shoot that I did when I was a Hooters girl. So the whole, like, do you remember me? Blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? And, it's yeah. like, and he's <laughs> like, he's like, Hey, boobies. Yes, exactly. And he was like, wow, you really became such a beautiful woman. Of course I know. And then uh, <laughs> I was like, no, like, I was always pretty. Shut yeah. up. I wanted to be like, no, I don't remember you. Like, I really, like, everything in me wanted to say, like, no, I don't remember you. But then something, I don't know, overcame me. And I was like, yes, I remember you, blah, blah, whatever. And he was like, yeah, I'm in Iraq. I'm in Iraq now. I'm a contractor. This and that starts telling me, like, he got married. He had three kids. And then we just talked every day from that point on. And so that's January of 20, of 2008. Um, in March, he, no, May, he was coming home for an R and R and he was like, why don't I, why don't we just meet in Rome? Like, where would you want to go? If you could go anywhere in the world? I was like, Rome, duh. I want some shoes. And he was like, get some luggage. He got me my passport. Like this was the whole plan up until April of 2008. He was like, you know what? I think I'm just going to come home and we can hang out in Austin, see how it goes. Maybe I can start my own pest control company and I can just stay in Austin. Like, I don't really want to come back to Iraq, blah, blah, blah. So he comes home May 17th of 2008 and he moved in with me right away. We had the best time we, um, like just picked up where we left off. It was so great. We ended up moving to the suburbs in July of 2008. And then we got married in 2010. Okay. We went to the suburbs. We're trying to blend a family seven. We're trying to, you know, my family knew him turned out his stepmother. So Stacy's stepmother's parents lived next door to my uncle. And, and when I was three years old, his uncle helped my uncle move us to this small town. So his uncle had a huge hand in me even being in this small town for me and Stacey wow. to ever meet. We thought we met in junior high, but really we had met when we were four. We just didn't remember. Okay. So during this talk, I mean, I-, I can only speak for myself, but I have some like serious wounds from like middle and high and even elementary. 
So yeah, like, what was that like? It was so weird because he knew, like I, I told him like you breaking up with me destroyed my life. <laughs> like I was very dramatic about it. It's why I started sleeping around. No, it wasn't. It was because I was abused as a child. Well, mm. it turned out that Stacy and I had um, come very close to sleeping together. And one, I told him I wanted to marry him and have all his babies. And so he was like, yeah, no, I'm going to have to break up with you. <laughs> and then that's when he was like, I, I broke up with you because I that freaked me out one and two he was like I didn't at the time he was a very typical 15 year old Texas football player I didn't want to use you and so my option Aww. was to break up with you to protect you because I didn't want to do that to you it, but he was 15 so he didn't know like he didn't know like oh you don't have to be a douche like <laughs> it's possible but he just didn't he had all the peer pressure of being right this typical boy and he didn't want to use me so he's like so I I went out with this girl the other girl who I knew was already sleeping around and was like whatever and processing the story from his side and my side I could see that he was just a kid isn't that so fascinating? Like, like unearthing a lot of childhood trauma and when you start to heal and sometimes it, it, you, you're fortunate enough to have that person to heal with and to have those conversations. But even if not, like when you start to heal, you start to have compassion for the person who hurt you. And it's a bizarre, bizarre thing. So crazy. Also, I worked at a strip club at this time, bartending. And one of the dancers was Canary Yellow's sister. And so I was like, what? And she's like, have you seen her lately? And I was like, no, I haven't seen her since we were in the eighth grade. Cause I hate her guts. And um, I was like, but what's crazy is that Stacy's coming home and, um, he's going to move in with me, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, seriously. So she got Canary yellow to call me so that we could like make amends or whatever. And that didn't last very long because of the hateration of like, Oh, you ended up with him. And that to me was like, cha-ching. I did. Right, 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 right. This guy knows to be something else if he's uh, still Aaron, he's you. Donnie Wahlberg. I he's know. Donnie Wahlberg. Yeah, and I told him that all the time. Like, if it wasn't for Donnie Wahlberg, I would have never even looked at you twice. But I did. And um, and so, I mean, yeah, we got married. We've done so much healing in the 10 years we've been married. We've been together for 12 years now. For a long time, when I would bring up the story of him breaking up with me in the eighth grade, he would buy me a steak. <laughs> <laughs> it is a countdown. Because I would still, I would cry. Like, I would have so many tears mm. you know like you really hurt me or whatever and he'd be like oh my god it was the eighth grade let it go and like when frozen came out and our grandchildren are like running around singing let it go let it go he's like yeah sing that to me may about eighth grade <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that fascinating yes you're right like him breaking up with you wasn't the reason that you made choices but yeah. it but that that was childhood trauma that was just like more trauma was built upon but with that being said, isn't it amazing that something that happened when you were 12, 13 years old has stuck, has had stuck with you for so long. Yeah. And I think sometimes we, I don't know, Aaron, if you, but I feel like sometimes we shame ourselves and we berate ourselves with these moments instead of just acknowledging them, we like pretend it's not affecting us. And so then it just affects us even more. I don't know. And it's almost like if we would just acknowledge it was a big deal. It did hurt. Then we could almost like move on past. I don't know. It's interesting. My mom and I go back and forth on this a lot. I like to say like, it was a big deal to me because in the grand scheme of things, 
was that dance moment a big deal in the world, like in life? No, especially considering the other stuff that you have been through. Like, was it a big deal? No, but it's one of those, like, it was a big deal to you and it hurt. That's the part that I get hung up on because I don't ever want people to think that I'm saying like, oh, this person unfollowing me on Instagram is a big deal. When like, I know it's not a big deal, but it it was a big deal to me and it still hurt. You know what I mean? Mm. Yes, that's perfect. That's a perfect way to say it. And I mean, and, and when he uh, proposed to me, he promised to make up for all of that hurt. And, Mm. you know, that was like one of his promises. And that meant a lot to me. Yeah. I mean, we joke about it and he'll joke and be like, let it go, whatever. But the reality when it's just me and him together, he's always is like, I'm really sorry that that happened. I'm really sorry. I was a dumb kid. Apologizes genuinely. And I apologize to him all the time because yeah, he hurt me when we were kids, but I've hurt him plenty as an adult, you know what I mean? Um, and so, so I think that it created this foundation for me and Stacey to be able to say, you hurt me. And the other person to say, I'm sorry that I hurt you. Mm. So we don't really have a huge problem in acknowledging pain and apologizing for it because we started off that way. <laughs> Can I hear Nothing. your whole proposal story? Yeah. Oh, it was really sad actually. So it was, so black Friday, we were at Kohl's and I saw this like engagement ring and I was, it's, I said, it's only a hundred dollars. We can totally get it and afford it. And he was like, yeah, sure. Whatever. But I'm not ready to get married. So then I just went straight into that 12 year old girl that was like, I'm going to lose him freaking out, you know? So we, uh, went out drinking one night and I just was crying. Like, why don't you want to marry me? It's like, you don't love me and you married your ex-wife. So obviously you must love her more than me. And, you know, just the psycho 12 year old that was in there (laughs) came Mm -hmm. out. So he took the ring one day and he proposed to me in the same place where we uh, had our first kiss. But I always felt as if I kind of forced that proposal because Stace is always trying to do the right thing. Like he is a right thing kind of person. What the special moment was, was about three months ago, we went to that same spot and he sat me down on the stairs and he was like, I just want you to know that, um, we've come such a long way and I'm so proud of us. I love you so much. And I am glad that we didn't get married as kids because we would hate each other and be divorced. Like everyone else who got married in our hometown when they were kids. And he was like, and I choose to be with you for the rest of my life. And so that was really for me was because he knew what a special spot that was. I didn't navigate the story to make it happen in this special way, you know? So that was a real proposal. First of all, I love you so much. I love how honest you are. I love that you're like, yeah, I was where I was bartending a strip club. Yeah. Cause I had a really awesome Hooters thing. Like, yeah. Like I just, I feel like there's this element of like, we're, we're going along on this journey with you as you're healing. And then eventually, as you guys are healing as two people separate, and then two people as a couple, as a whole couple, for people that don't follow Latisha on social media, it's such a, it's such a wild ride. And I really, I I really do mean that. Like, I really enjoy how honest and how forthright you are. You are just like, this is who I am. You're so quick to like, say I'm struggling in this right now, or this is where I'm really at, or wow, I really healed from this or, oh, I need to heal from this more. 
I really appreciate that because I think a lot of people, you know, it's like Wizard of Oz when he's like, don't look at the man behind the curtain. Don't look at the man behind the curtain. I think there's a lot of people that dump on social media and they do it for attention. That is not you. I'm sure people have said to you that that is you, but that's not you. Like at no point do I feel like you are ever opening yourself up for anybody other than God and other people. I don't mean it doesn't serve you in a healing way, but like it always feels very much, very much like this podcast. Like you're not alone. You're not the only one. I mean, you know, you talk so much about mental health. You obviously are extremely open about your son's suicide. There's just something so honest about you and raw, but in like a really like beautiful way. I don't know if that, yeah. Yeah. I just want people to know that they're not alone. And I, I was telling someone this the other day, like it's super easy, not easy, but it's easier to graduate from high school, go to college, decide you want to be a doctor. And then there's a path for you. Right. Mm -hmm. But there was no path to how to end up being Letitia Ochoa Adams. I had to blaze that path for myself. I thought all these things were failures that I had failed at this and I had failed at that. And I'd failed at this, but at the age of 44, I look back at my life and I just think like, that was just life. You know, when you don't have a path, like you don't know, okay, well, it's going to be four years of or eight years of a marriage to Ben Jacobs, who's struggling with addiction. And then you graduate and then you go into, yeah. you know, two years of living with Stacy, begging him to marry you. And then you go through and then you graduate from that. Like, so it's like my own little graduations of learning from all of these things. And so instead of beating myself up about all the mistakes that I made, I just see them all as learning, like their lessons, you know, their classes that I took in my own kind of life university, I guess you could call it. Yeah. You know, full of healing from trauma. I didn't learn how just to be a wife. I learned how to be Stacy's wife. It's so crazy because that's all I ever wanted to be. And it doesn't mean cooking and cleaning kind of wife. It means like, how do I show up for Stace every day? And how does Stace show up for me? And the fact that God somehow, some way heard the prayer of a heartbroken seventh grader in the middle of the night with her two Shetland ponies who were like, please shut up <laughs> and answered it 17 years later, you know? how I can sit and be sad about all the mistakes or I can sit and see how much God loved me that he heard me and was like one day. I also think what's so sweet and like beautiful about the story is, you know, I remember we had somebody on our show that lost her dream job, but she actually like stayed in the same career path, right? She continued to be a celebrity stylist. It just, she had lost because of a car accident, all these things, she had lost her dream job. And I think what's so interesting about your story is we haven't had anybody on here who's broken up with someone and ended up with that person, especially such a long time later and like marriages and children later. And I think there's something so beautiful about seeing that journey. And And I think going back to you being so like open and honest is that I think a lot of times people see the, this, like these stories and they're like, oh my gosh. And then they lived happily ever after. And I'm going to stay in this (laughs) terrible relationship because I know one day and you're like, no, no, No. let's talk about what actually happened. And like the hard work that went into that. And also I, I love that you guys were away from each other, you know, like, like you had to go off and do your own things and yeah. And then even after Anthony's suicide, I mean, Anthony and Stacy were such good friends. Like they were, mm-hmm. at, they had a serious friendship. They got along so well. They loved each other. They laughed. They worked together. I mean, Anthony loved Stacy and Stacy loves Anthony. 
And um, and so Stace is the one who found Anthony. After that, I mean, we both grieved. I grieved my son. He grieved his stepson slash best friend. And so in that grieving, we separated. We got into a big, huge fight. He left. He came and got all his stuff. And he did not live here for a year. Um, he went to Iraq again. And so, you know, we filed for divorce. We were so close to getting divorced. And so, yeah, it's this beautiful love story. And it started with, you know, me falling in love with Donnie Wahlberg, putting that on Stacy in this eighth grade or whatever, seventh grade beautiful it is but it also has a lot more pain and a lot more healing so it was only after we decided to not go through with that divorce that I feel like Stacy and Letitia got married when you started dating him again how long did it take before you got out of the mindset that like you're not dating Stacy from seventh grade you know what like you're not Letitia from seventh grade he's not Stacy from seventh grade but like I'm sure the first couple of times you hung out it probably still felt like that you know what I mean yeah It did. And I don't really know how long it took to get over that. But every once in a while, we both just like look at each other and we're like, holy crap, we're like 40. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it just happened this past weekend because we're in town and we're like in a hotel room and we just like both look at each other. We're like, wow, like we're across we're in a hotel room across the street from that pizza hut. And we're just like, wow. And you both have lived a lot of life, you know? Yeah. And we just bought our dream property that has a creek through it. And we're like going to move from the suburbs back out to the country. And um, are you getting horses to talk to? Yeah. Getting horse, getting more horses. And I mean, it's just so crazy. The like circle that everything's come back to where it's like Stace and I in cowboy boots walking through our land, just happy, happy. And that's the thing, like at the end of the day, the prayer that I was really praying wasn't just for Stacy to marry me, but for God to help me heal and be happy and through all of the crap that I have been through and losing Anthony was devastating to see my feet planted on the ground that I own and truly feel joy hmm. is the greatest gift going back to that prayer of that little 12 year old. And you were saying like, ultimately it wasn't really about marrying Stacy. It was really about being at peace yes. and like, ha- and being healed. The ability to be able to say like, finally, like I want to be healed. Cause I think so long we like think we want to be healed, but we keep like, we <laughs> not we, healing. We keep not healing. Like I just look at my life and I'm like, Kirsten, it didn't have to, like, it didn't have- it didn't have to be this hard. You yeah. made it so much harder than it had to be. And it's because I was clinging to things I didn't need to be clinging to. Absolutely. 100%. And I think that the thing about Anthony's suicide is once I, f- I felt like, okay, I'm already in hell. Right. So mm. might as well walk through fire. Like mm. I, so it's like an accelerate. It was an accelerated path after Anthony's suicide for me to push through healing. And it meant learning how not to be rude to my husband, which I'm still working on because I'm just a snarky person. And my husband has a lot of feelings. And so, and, and like his love language is words and words of affirmation. So I'm snarky to him and it like really get hurts him, you know? Yeah. I'm learning how not to do that. And I'm learning how not to be so angry because anger isn't a primary feeling. So what is what's under there? So I'm still learning a bunch of these things, two things. I know that I want to heal and I'm willing to do anything to heal. 
Oh, so actually three things. And I know I want to write. Like, I know I want to be able to cultivate the power of storytelling in my life and that it's good and it's a gift. I say this a lot on this podcast and I'm actually quoting, I'm sure somebody else said it to her, but I'm quoting Tori Hope Peterson, who is a former, I hope to have her on season two, but she's a former foster youth and now she's a foster mom and an adoptive mom. And she says, hurt people hurt people, but heal people can help heal people. We're sometimes we're our own, I don't want to say our own worst enemy, but we're our own thing that's like impeding that healing. And it is, I think when you go through, when it's gotten so, I mean, it's like addiction, right? It's like, you don't get it until you hit rock bottom. And I think it's until you realize how badly you need to be healed that you're finally like, okay, okay. I don't know if anything can be worse than what I'm going through right now. So let's do this. And healing is painful, you know, like golly, it doesn't feel good and you don't want to feel that. But going back to like where we started, when we don't know how to access those feelings and we don't know how to feel and we don't know how to say how we're feeling, it is so much harder. But like the gift of that you're giving your granddaughter is that I'm not, of course she'll have trauma. We all do. Obviously she lost her father. And of course we'll all need therapy, but like what beauty you're giving her, these tools that she's, she's coming from just such a, healthier place and what a gift you're giving her and to show her forgiveness and redemption and Stace and I being okay. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just being okay. Not, you know, millionaires or billionaires or extravagant this and that, but we're just okay. What, how peaceful is okay. I think that there's such a gift as we get older to realizing how beautiful and like attractive peace is. Yes. You talking about you planting your feet on the ground. The deep desires of our heart are the ones that we're always trying to get to. And we try to fill them up with all the things of the world, money, power, fame, whatever, love, the fake love, all that. But it's just so beautiful to like peace. Yeah. And it's so crazy because I think that the way I got that peace was in realizing that Stacy can't make me happy. I'm cheering right now. So I just need to find the connection with myself and with God so I can be happy in my marriage with Stacy. But Stacy isn't the son. Like Stacy is not God. Stacy is not this possession that's going to suddenly make Letitia happy. Mm. Stace hurts me. Stace says dumb things. Stace says really smart things. Stace is a whole person. Mm. He's not a possession that gets to just make me happy. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think that's when I found peace. Like, oh, because so much of the conflict was like, I have Stace. Why am I not happy? Like what's going on? Um, and so, so a lot of that came from letting go of the idea that his only purpose in life is to make me happy. <laughs> that doesn't work. You know, totally, totally great stuff. Okay. Bring us into our wrap up questions. If Here we you go. Aaron. Tell your 12 year old self, anything, what would you tell her? One day you're going to find a great therapist <laughs> and she's not going to be a pony. <laughs> Excuse me, Letitia. It was a Shetland pony. Okay. Shetland pony. <laughs> okay. Lastly, what was your crush song? What was the song that when you were going through it this moment, what was the song that was there for you? Oh my goodness. Um, I've had the time of my life. Dirty dancing, oh, dirty dancing style. I yeah. literally, I literally listened to that song yesterday in the car on the way home. 
um, Stacy was driving a U-Haul and I was driving my car and I put that uh, soundtrack on and that song came on and I actually cried tears like for no reason like you know it's just like one of those songs that you play it and your whole child like the inner child is like let's cry would we allow ourselves to have softer feelings toward ourselves or our emotions if we were looking at little us there's an episode of a tv show it was a british show called my mad fat diary and it's a girl who's like really struggling with an eating disorder and the the show takes place as she's going back into school after taking time off for this eating disorder and she's seeing this therapist and the therapist says okay I want you to like actually imagine you're sitting in front of yourself and saying everything you just said to me like all these horrible all this horrible self-talk say it to her and she's like no she's just a kid and he was like that's you you're just a kid you know yeah yeah I mean that's the thing is like my my therapist will always say would you say that to Aaliyah like you know or like what what going through like what did my mom say to me do I think that of Aaliyah would I say that to her I was like no Mm -hmm. and she's like well then go tell your inner child that she's not bad and it's gonna be fine Mm -hmm. yeah so good (laughs) so good like you have to reparent yourself and take care of your own self as a child so that you can heal because you know like I said you when you know better you do better And sometimes our parents aren't going to do better. They just can't. They can't get there. They can't do it. So my mom's never going to do better for me. She's just going to be my mom. So I have to be, I have to reparent myself so that I can parent my children and grandchildren. What I love about that is the acceptance of that. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's something I've been like working a lot on is acceptance and letting go as someone who realizing (laughs) I'm a codependent. (laughs) It's a very hard thing for me, but just the idea of just what you just said, the acceptance of that. She can't. And I'm not judging her for it. It's just a fact. I have to heal so I can help others and love others as yeah. well as loving myself. Absolutely. And um, it came from reading. Uh, so Dr. Edith Eager and Viktor Frankl both survived the Holocaust and Viktor Frankl re- uh, wrote the book, Man's Search for Meaning. And then uh, Dr. Edith eager wrote her first book at 90 something years old it was the memoir of her surviving Auschwitz and she says that too like she says you know she at some point learned to pity the Nazis to have compassion for them because they were so lost that they thought this was the thing to do and she said if I kept being angry instead of turning that anger to pity she's like I would become them hurt people hurt people and so I I see the same thing with my mother that I have to have compassion for her and that she dealt with what she dealt with and cannot heal the way I have but she did what she had to to survive so that I could survive and I can heal like it's just a torch that gets passed down and eventually Aaliyah is gonna have to do who knows what like healing's my and like healing is my line you know my thing to do in this generational line I don't know what Aaliyah's thing is gonna be to do maybe Aaliyah is the flower that blooms from the healing I don't really know but we all have a purpose in our generational line to do something. Do you remember the quote you shared is how I found you? The thing about being safe. It was like one of the greatest quotes ever. And it's how I found you. And now I'm looking for it. And I don't remember how I would have, you know what? I'm going to go through our messages because I bet that's how, I mean, we've had a million, but. (laughs) So February 20th, 2020, which is fascinating because obviously it's right before COVID, but it's also right before 
it's right as I'm reading Be Healed. I think I was just finishing Be Healed. Like the amount of like healing that was taking place that I, that I can look back on my life and see God was like, you got ready. All right. So you wrote unprocessed trauma will make you feel self-centered. It will make you feel entitled to have everyone act according to your needs. That's called being codependent. And it comes from having your safety ripped away and walking around demanding everyone make you safe again. That is impossible. Only you can do the work it takes to regain your sense of safety. Until you do that, you will walk around constantly making everything about you and reacting from a place of pain. It will make you lack compassion for others and it will chip away at your life little by little. It will make you unable to see the human story in a public tragedy because all you do is see your own story. Heal, stop bleeding on everyone around you. Not thinking you deserve to be better is part of your woundedness. Being self-centered is a part of the abuse. Don't give your trauma that much control over your life. That line, stop bleeding on everyone around you. Oh my gosh. And my line was walking around demanding everyone make you feel safe again. Yeah. You did. And I mean, I see that everywhere. And I just want to shake people and be like, the world is not safe. No, like, where did we get this idea? that we're like, the world is going to care about our safety, that there's children being, you know, children who've been suffering from their country being bombed for years and years and years and years. And, and yet we as Americans walk around demanding everyone not trigger us, not this, not that, not that, not that you should walk around not caring about those around you either, but we have to find a place of safety. We have to heal to find our safety in the midst of all of this. Yeah. I can't, I can't depend on viruses to, you know what I mean? To do the right thing so that I feel okay. Like I have to feel okay and cope with whatever's happening. And that's the same thing that Dr. Edith Eager was talking about when she got a piece of bread for performing, for dancing, for, um, this Nazi, he gave her a piece of bread for that performance. And she said, instead of gobbling it down, she broke off pieces to share with everyone else. And the people she shared it with later saved her life because they looked out for her when she needed it. And so I think that that's what, when we find safety for ourselves, then we can break off some of that safety to everyone else. But if you don't find it for yourself, if you're, and that's another thing about everyone fighting for justice right now, it's like justice is you healing. If you can't fight for justice for yourself, how are you going to fight for justice for everybody else? You have to fight for yourself first and foremost so that you can be in a safe, healed place to fight for justice for everyone else instead Mm -hmm. of using the fight for justice as a distraction from healing, which is so easy to do. Can we just put that on a t-shirt right there? (laughs) I feel very attacked right now, but that's fine. (laughs) I feel like I said you often when you've shared something on stories, I'm like, stop it. Stop it. (laughs) What is so powerful about everything you're saying is to go back to your childhood. Yeah. We know that you have been through serious trauma and we see the growth and the healing and the, and the gift of you having compassion for other people. And also being honest, when you don't have compassion, you just have deep anger. And I just, I just so appreciate you coming on here and sharing with us. Cause I really do believe that this episode, I think this episode is going to be it's healing touch for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, I really do. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.